Good morning. How's everybody this morning? It's a little bit rainy outside, so you're dry in here. There's no cables coming across, nobody tight walking in the service. The roof is staying up. All is good, right? I mean, it's a good life. That's what we're looking at this morning. We're looking at the, uh, we're going to look at the good life. Last week, this time, I was just coming back from senior trip. On senior trip, we were in Blue Ridge, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half north of Atlanta. It's right on the Tennessee line, and it's also right on the North Carolina line. Um, if you've ever been up there, there is a lot of whitewater rafting. There's a lot of creeks that you can tube on. There's zip lining through the woods. It's just a very, very, very cool part of the country. While we were there, we did, we tubed, we whitewater rafted, we zip lined. We did all of these things. We went out and hung out downtown. But on the last day before we were headed in that morning, we met up at a rafting guide service. And they divided our group into three individual groups to go on the raft, whitewater rafting down the Ocoee River. On the Ocoee River, if you've ever been on it, there's some serious rapids on it. And so they're doing a safety meeting beforehand, and they're telling us, you know, if you're going to, if we're, there's a couple of spots, and if they tell you to get down, everybody jump down and put your paddle like that. And I figure if I'm going to go down, I don't want to go down scrunched in a bush. I'm just going to go down and hit the rock because I don't want to be squished and uncomfortable when I hit it. But there is three guides that are there. And one thing, I probably have done this with groups probably like eight or nine times. And one thing that I have noticed is that your guide that is on your trip is going to be the most important thing to you having a good time or not having a good time. Braden has been on these trips enough with me that he has figured this out as well. And so we're sitting over on the side and we're looking at our three options. We have option one, option two, option three. It's two guys, one girl. And we're looking at them and we're sitting back talking. We're not telling the students this because we don't want anybody jumping in our boat if we pick the best one. And so we're sitting there and we're like, okay, option one is the guy explaining the rules. He seems pretty tight-laced. Is he our best option? And you don't know, because guides, river guides, if anybody was ever a river guide in here, I love you, but I'm going to make fun of you a little bit too, because river guides are all pretty much hippies. And after they go down the river all summer, they go up in their like, uh, ski instructors in Colorado. And we're sitting there and we're watching them, and they're cool people. There's your difference. And we're watching them, we're like, man, he's pretty tight-laced. I don't know that he's going to be fun. And all of a sudden, option two comes around the corner. Option two, there's no way that he's functioning on a normal level. He, I mean, he is goofy. And we're sitting here, and I'm like, I'm not going to sit in a boat with him for two hours because these boats aren't big, and he's getting on my nerves, and he hasn't been here 30 seconds. So I'm like, I'm, option two's out for me. Brandon said, yeah, I can't do option two. But option three was a girl. She seemed pretty quiet. She wasn't not fun. She was fun. She was like, but she was like kind of hanging out. We're like... We've got to go with the girl this time. You know, option one, we know that it's probably not going to be that good of a time. Option two, we're going to jump out of the boat because we don't want to be with him. And option three is the girl. She's kind of the unknown, so we're like, hey, let's go for it. So we start down the river together, and we are talking to the girl, and she says, you know, where are y'all from? And we're having small talk, and we're like, we're from Louisiana, we're on senior trip. And she was like, man, that sounds awesome, that sounds good. And I said, how long have you been doing this? She said, oh, I've done it a couple of years. She said, but this is my first trip down the river this year. And I'm like, <laughs> I looked over at Brayden. I was like, you idiot. I was like, Brayden, I let you pick this, and now you have failed me. And uh, I was like, this could be bad. I was like, it's going to be okay. And she said, what all have y'all done while y'all have been here? I said, well, we floated yesterday down the Tacoa River where you sit on tubes and you're hanging out. And... 
we went ziplining the day before, and then today we're wrapping it up rafting. She said, oh, the Tacoa River on tubes. I will never forget what the phrase she said. She said, that is unbelievable. She said, that is my zen zone. And I was sitting there, and I was like, your zen zone? I said, she's a fruitcake. And I was like, she's going to take me down the river. And she said, that is my zen zone. And what she was getting at is she said, everything is good when she's floating on a tube down the river. It's calm, it's docile. And I agree with her. It is very relaxing to be on this tube. I've never called it my zen zone. But I think what she was getting at is that everything that's like troubling her in life kind of zones out at that point in time. And it's all good. We all have those spots that we find that are like relaxing like that. I think the goal is that a lot of us, what we really want in life is for our lives to look a lot more like those areas that we go to than to look like this disaster over here. And so we're seeking for life to look more like these calm places than these rough waters. What does it take for us to do that? We're going to look in Philippians. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn towards Philippians, we're going to take a look in Philippians chapter 4 today. Church is, uh, Paul is writing the church in Philippi. And specifically right before this, he's addressing the church and he says, hey, there's these two ladies, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names. He said there's these two ladies. Basically, these ladies have been in an argument. Uh, There's been some division, and I think he's worried about unity within the church. And he says, guys, can you help these ladies make sure that they can put this back together because it's important for the church. They have been very instrumental in helping me to share the gospel And then he goes on, and I believe what he lays out in these four verses that we're going to look at this morning is a pretty good recipe for us understanding and wrapping our head around what the good life really looks like. I think that there's three big things that Paul talks about that aren't this, I don't think this is a concise list, I think there's a lot that goes into it, but I think that if we can put these three things into play, I I will tell you this, if you put these three things into play this week, I believe that your life will be happier and better this week than it was last week. The first thing is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. This is where Paul starts off. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Rejoice, the, the, the word rejoice literally means delight, to put your delight, to put your joy to put your fulfillment in God. That seems like a pretty churchy thing for me to stand up here and to say on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, hey, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's happening in life, I encourage you to put your joy in the Lord. I encourage you to put your happiness in the Lord. Well, let me, let's get real for a second. I know that life is not easy. There's a lot of times that life simply does not make sense. I think you know that and I think I know that. But I think that we should find some comfort in the same guy that told us to put our, rejoice, put our joy in, and to rejoice in the Lord. I think that he understood that very, very well too. Because in fact, when he is writing those words, he's not sitting at Starbucks thinking about how his double foam and his latte is good. He's sitting in prison. And he's not sitting in prison because he was out and made a bunch of really bad mistakes. He's sitting in prison because he was trying to share Christ with people and he was preaching boldly. In fact, he he understood where tough waters come from because he had just been shipwrecked. He, He understood why these tough times happened because if anybody was a picture of a lot of really junky things happening to a guy that's trying to do some really good stuff, Paul's it. He had every reason to be able to sit there and to say, God, I'm trying, but I keep getting hindered. I keep, I keep trying to do good stuff, but it just keeps falling apart. 
But that's not what he said. Now, did, did not say, is that saying that Paul didn't struggle with that? No, I, I think he did. I think anybody in their right mind would. So maybe as he's writing these words, rejoice in the Lord. Maybe if anything, this is just a good reminder for himself as he's writing these words. But he's like, guys, he said, no matter what's going on, put your joy in the Lord. Put your joy in the Lord. Here's my question for you. One, what's going on in your life right now that has you, that is on your mind a lot? What do you have going on? Is it problems with somebody else? Is it problems with people? We all know that problems with people are real. I think it's funny that the two people that he's addressing is two women fighting in the church. I mean, I'm not saying that he was being prophetic, but it still happens, you know. And, and who are you dealing with? What, is there just some stuff that's going on in life? Maybe there's nothing going on in life that really has you stressed out. But I will tell you, if your life is anything like mine, those times will come. And I think for us to have our heads wrapped around that is pretty good. Paul doesn't say it once, but he says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord. He almost as if he's saying, guys, did you really hear me what I said? You need to put your joy in the Lord. Verse 5. Verse 5, he steps forward again. And, he's, and this is probably my favorite verse out of this passage that we're going to read. He says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, you can leave that on the screen right there, Jamie. The, the word reasonableness is in the ESV. There's a lot of other words that are used in different translations. Um, your translation may say gentleness. It may say a lot of things. The reason that there's a lot of different words used for what we see as this word reasonableness is the Greek word that it was translated from is one of the most difficult Greek words in the New Testament, Testament to translate into English. In fact, it was hard to put just a word to it even in Greek. It was written in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek, right? It was hard just to put one phrase to this word reasonableness. And I think it's important that we wrap our heads around this because I think that this word is very powerful and it has a lot of answers to uh, things that we're going through. The Greeks would describe this word like this. They would say there is justice. Justice would be like, hey, this is what you deserve. This is what, we, this is, this is what happened. And now because this happened, this is what you deserve. This is justice. And then they would say there is something that is greater than justice. There is justice and there is something that is greater than justice. And this word reasonableness, gentleness... It's kind of that thing that is greater than justice. Let me try to explain more what I'm talking about. Jesus, let's, let's look at Jesus, and I will recap it so that we don't spend more time reading. Jesus was talking to the woman that is caught in an act of adultery. Jesus is walking into a scene, and some people say, hey, here's this woman that is caught in an act of adultery. They bring her, that she is, she is up here, and they bring Jesus in. This was a trap for Jesus. And they said, Jesus, this woman was caught in an act of adultery. Honestly, she was probably drug up in the middle of everybody. She's probably naked. She's probably completely, like, just all the shame and the guilt. And she's, she's put in front of all these people. And they said, the Bible says that she's to be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? What needs to happen to her? Now, this was a trap for Jesus because it was a, it was a if he said that she doesn't need to be stoned, then, he, then the, the Pharisees would say, what, you don't, you don't believe that the law, you don't believe God's law is good, see, you can't be genuine. And then if he said, let her go, then they would say, okay, he's not a friend of the sinners like he says that he is. So Jesus sat down and he drew in the sand for a second, and he looked at it, and he said, I tell you what, guys, he said, here's the deal. He said, let the person that hadn't sinned be the one that throws the first stone. 
And, and I love this part of the passage because it says that they started to leave one by one, starting with the oldest one, working down to the youngest one. See, what I really think is these older people realized, hey, he's on to something here. Because we all have faults in life. And I think this is where Jesus really had a grasp on there's justice and there's something greater than justice. My definition that I will give you for this word is that this Greek word, the, a good definition is this is an intersection of mercy and grace and truth all into one. Jesus didn't push the truth to the side when he was talking to this woman at the well. He said, where's the people that, I, where's the people that condemn you? And she said, they're gone. And he said, well, neither do I. And then they start having this conversation about, about how many husbands that she had. And the guy that she's living with now is not her husband. And he said, he said here's the deal. He said, go. He said, but lady, you've got to leave your life of sin. He didn't sacrifice truth. He told her what was up. And they moved. But he said, it's time to move forward. I think that what Paul is saying here is you always be looking for an opportunity to redeem somebody. Don't sacrifice truth but always be looking for an opportunity to redeem somebody. When I was in high school, I, I will talk, and I'm not going to share a lot of details because I'm not completely sure that the statute of limitations is up on all of this. And, um, and, and I was thinking about it, and I kind of looked. I don't know. It's, in this, it may be 15 or 20. I don't know. And, um, and so I'm not going to completely tell all of the story, but I had a point during high school that me, let me put it like this, me and some people were riding, and... We were probably driving too fast, and long story short, I ran off of the road and wedged my truck, 1982 Chevrolet, three-quarter ton, long wheelbase, just a good redneck truck. I loved that truck, and I ramped it over the road, and I wedged it between two big pine trees, and it took us about three or four or five hours. We worked until about three or four in the morning, and we got my truck pulled out from between these pine trees. One, looking back, I see how God spared me, and... Two, I think it's interesting that a cop, a, a guy that is a cop now was riding beside me and then knowing where we had been and what had happened and all this, that's really that I was preaching, I'm preaching and he's a cop. It's just an interesting ride in that cab right now. And so we're wedged, we finally get the truck out and I'm able to drive it and I get it to my house. It takes me till four or five o'clock in the morning. I go in, my parents, they weren't like sitting up waiting on me. I know they loved me, but they also like, they would fall asleep too. So I came in and I said, hey guys, I know I haven't been home all night, but uh, I'm just letting you know I'm okay. A deer ran out in front of me. Deer, do you want to know why deer are paranoid in the South? Because they get blamed for everything. Deer don't, they don't do anything. And they just get blamed for everything. A deer ran out in front of me. Ask a cop. Deer get blamed every day for stuff. No one even a deer around. They were running because the rednecks were after them. And I said, this deer ran out in front of me. And I said, I just kind of ran off the road. I bumped the front of my truck. Bump, I tore the front end of my truck out from under my truck. Anyway, I said, I bumped into my truck. I said, it, you know, but I said, I'm okay. And the deer's okay too. Don't worry about the deer. And mom was like, okay, good. Can you go to bed and we'll talk about it in the morning? I said, yeah. And I walked and I was like, that was easy. I go and I get in my bed and I lay down. And about an hour later, probably six o'clock, my dad comes and wakes me up. He says, come on, let's go outside. And I'm like, dang this is not what I planned on. And on the way out, he said, all right, tell me what happened. And I said, uh, well, this, he said, okay, let's stop. Don't even say deer. Why don't you just tell me what really happened? And, uh, and I said, well, we did this and this, and we were running from this. And then 
I ramped it off the road and wedged between the pine trees, and here you go. And he said, that's what I thought. Not all those details, but I could see it happening. And he said, okay, let's get to working on your truck. And in my mind, I'm waiting, what is this? When does this all come to a point? When is this all going to fall apart on me? When is he going to like, when is all of this going to come? I'm never going to be able to hang out with anybody, you know, because he knows I just told him what really happened and what really happened was not the story that I wanted to tell him. And we just sat there and started working on my truck and fixing it. When we got through with that, he said, all right, let's go get something to eat. We got something to eat and we went back inside. After that point in time, me and my dad never talked about it ever again. Now, my dad wasn't sacrificing truth. He wasn't blowing anything apart. But looking back, as a parent now, at 35, so, so 20 years later, looking back at this, I think my dad had a handle on there's truth and there's something that's greater than truth. Because he saw an opportunity, I think he knew, okay, we weren't going back to where we just were. We weren't doing that. But he saw an opportunity to redeem me. My question is, are you, do you look for opportunities to redeem people that you come into crisis with? Or maybe you have every right to be upset. And let's say, let's say that, uh, I'll use Braden as an example. Let's say me and Braden are in an argument, and Braden says something, and he comes at me, and he says some really slanderous, horrible things about me, and I am completely 100% justified in addressing those things and coming back at him with an equal force. Nobody would say anything to me about how I would respond to him. You know, I'm going to come at and I'm going to protect my integrity, but I'm going to defend myself and I'm going to come back at him just as hard. I think what Jesus is getting in here, what Paul is talking about in this passage, is that I have an opportunity to take a step down, not because I'm weak, not because I don't have the ability to defend myself, but I have the ability to show Braden who Christ is by my actions. And not only do I have an opportunity to show Braden who Christ is, I have an opportunity to show Emily, and I have an opportunity to show Alana, and I have an opportunity to show everybody that is around Braden who Christ is because of my actions. I'm not sacrificing truth, but is there a better way to handle it than to just blast back? For me, that's a tough one to learn. Because my natural tendency is to blast back. And I think through a lot of things in life, I've learned, I'm trying to learn to step back and take a look. So, how are you handling, how are you handling that? Are you looking at people through the eyes of Christ? The last thing that I think, and the third thing that he needs to, that he's saying to us, that if we want to really see what the good life looks like, is that we need to pray like we mean it. We need to truly, truly pray like we mean it. Verse 6 it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. I don't know if you've ever dealt with anxiety. I don't know if you have ever dealt with panic attacks. And we're not going to go into all of that. I don't know if you've ever dealt with Really, really, really heavy stress. But one thing I will tell you about it is that when, let's just say a panic attack, if everything builds up to the point that a panic attack happens and basically I just kind of like everything just kind of shuts down. One thing that I have noticed, that's real out there. See, aren't you glad you're in the house of the Lord this morning? So one thing that I've noticed is 
that when all of that happens and builds up to a point, when that panic attack is over or that anxiety is on the other side, I realize how completely drained I have been. Because it takes, it's like your whole body is just in a knot. And if you've ever dealt with real stress like that, you realize that it is so stressful and it is so taxing and it takes so much energy. And I think what Paul is saying here is saying, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God. What I would tell you here is that I think this is the biggest thing. If you can take the energy that you put into worrying and put that into prayer, that you're going to see some big stuff happen in your life. If you'll take the energy that we put into anxiety and worry and put that into prayer, that I believe that we will see some really big things happen in life. See, one thing I realized about my own life is that it's really easy for me to go to worry and to make a mountain out of a, a molehill. And at some point I was sitting there in my quiet time and I was, I was thinking about it and I was looking at it and I was thinking about how much time I'd spent worrying about whatever X thing was over here. And I really felt it this strongly that, that chronic worrying shows a great distrust in God in that the fact that God is big enough to handle the situation that you're trying to figure out on your own. And so I just want to throw that to you and, and ask you, when you are incomplete, when you're, when you're stressed, when you're worrying, when you're trying to figure out a situation, are you getting to a spot that you think about Honestly, just reflect on, is God big enough to handle this situation that I'm stressing about because I feel like I need to handle it myself? And the answer is always yes. Spend some time praying about it. Spend some time real. I've never done this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put something in just a second on the screen. One thing that I found, I always had a lot of guilt around my prayer time. And it wasn't because I didn't want to have a prayer time. It wasn't because I wasn't seeking to have a prayer time. I, I just, it is really hard for me to keep my train of thought, okay? And I'm all over the place. The more people that I talk to, the more that I realize there are a lot of people that have a really tough time. You're sitting there and you're thinking about, you know, you're, you're praying or you're thinking the next thing you know, you're thinking about a wall that you want to build on your deer stand so that when that deer comes out, say, that's why deer are paranoid. Even in prayer time, they're thinking about killing me. And... I would just go a thousand places. So a while back, I was like, man, I had a lot of guilt about my prayer time because I was like, I just struggle so much staying on track. So I said, for me, this is what I'm going to do, and, and I'll show you. And I'm going to tell you that I don't believe that this is like the end-all, be-all to how prayer time should go or anything. For me, this works. And so you may look at this and say, no, this isn't me at all. And that's okay. This is just for me. Let's put that slide up there. So... Every day of the week, one thing that I realized, and I'll tell you about this as we leave this up here, I just started writing down, I said, I'm going to write down what I'm praying about. I'm going to write down what I'm praying about. One thing I realized that after I started writing down things that I've been praying about, praying about confession, praying about all of these things, that it would take me about two to three hours to pray through those things that I was thinking about. And I was like, okay, I want to get to that spot where I'm spending two to three hours a day in prayer, but honestly, I'm not right there right now. And so, but then I would feel guilty because I was like, if I don't pray through it, you know, so I said, I'm going to break it up day by day over the course of the week. So Monday through Friday, this is what I do. And because I wanted to get serious about prayer, uh, I have up at the top praise, confession, intercession, supplication, thanksgiving, praying for myself, praying for others, thank, thanking God. I have those things up on there just to remind me constantly through my prayer times. On the left hand side, you'll see daily. For me, this is just how it's set up for me. Every day, no matter what, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pray for my family. 
I'm going to pray for ministry. And these are key words for me so that I know. And I pulled out some of the stuff that is more personal. This is more generic, just to kind of drive the point. Uh, holiness every day, I try to pray that, uh, that my desire to be holy will be greater than my desire to be accepted. I pray that I'll have a quiet calmness. I pray for my church. I pray that I will be a soul winner. I pray that God will remind me that people are dying and going to hell without him. And it's my job to tell people. I pray about my worth in Christ. Then on the bottom, I have long-term prayer request. And the Smiths, I'm not like this isn't any Smiths in general. This is just a, an example. It may be that somebody has gone through a tough spot in life. And I am, every Wednesday, I'm praying for X person, whoever that is. And then I'm praying for Addie and Ella, my daughter's salvation for their future, for their husbands. Dad, I, was, I would tell you, if you're not praying for your kids on a regular basis, get serious about it. Your kids need prayers. I promise you. I talk to them on a regular basis. They need prayers. And I pray for Janelle's endurance. I just think about a wife and, and a mom and how hard they go. And they go till, till I'm ready to lay down on the couch and watch TV. And she's still making lunches. And she's thinking about all this. I just spend some time praying about that. And I pray about my marriage. And then on the right, maybe it's Wednesday specific things that I pray about. Just that I'll speak when I'm speaking to students on Wednesday nights. I will speak boldly. Um, I pray for my small group leaders and that sort of thing. You can pull that off. Um, there's nothing special about this. This is just what works for me. But I think regardless, the point is that Paul's getting at it. He said, how about you get serious about your prayer time? I will tell you, as a church, I believe this wholeheartedly, that if we can, as a church, get serious about our prayer time, we're going to see some big things happen in this church. I believe very, very much in the power of prayer. I've seen it change too many things. I challenge you to get serious. I dare you to get serious about your, your prayer time and see what happens. And lastly, in verse number 7, here's what he has to say. If we, and I believe that this is an answer. If we can get these first three things and we can get them, we can get them right, if we can have, find our joy in the Lord, if we can see people through the eyes of Christ and if we can pray like we mean it, I believe that this is kind of a response to what will happen. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You could talk forever about this verse, but I just want to tell you this one thing, that when we get this together, there's a peace that can come over us that we cannot wrap our heads around, that we won't understand and nobody will understand around us because it's a peace that's not of this world. You have seen this happen in people's lives and you may not even realize that you see a dark tragedy happen in somebody's life. And I hear people say this all the time. You see something horrible that happens in a group of people's lives and they are trying to follow Christ very, very distinctly in their life. And, and I've heard so many people say, I don't understand how they can respond like they're responding because this would be so devastating. And, the, and, and I'm just, I'm so amazed at the peace that they have. I'm going to tell you that in a lot of those situations, that peace that they have is not their own. That peace that they have is directly from the Holy Spirit. And my challenge to you is, let's live life in a way that we are usable enough that the Holy Spirit can do that in our life. Let's live life in a way that, because I don't know about you, I don't want to manufacture peace. I don't want to manufacture joy. I don't want to manufacture happiness. I want the real thing. I want real joy. Because I, I, want to, I want to look at life and I want to enjoy it. I've looked at so many things that I've said this would make me happy in life. And over the years, those things have drastically changed. And the older that I get, the thing that I've realized that makes me happiest in life is just being happy knowing where I'm, where God wants me to be and that I'm around people that I want to be around. And you can have all the stuff. And I'm just going to take that over here. 
And so my question for you is, are you seeking after that peace? Here's the last thing that I would tell you. That peace comes directly from the Holy Spirit. But we have to let that Holy Spirit work in our lives. This is a little systematic theology. All right. Paul is speaking to the church at Philippi. He's talking to Christians at the church at Philippi. And he's telling them, hey, this is what needs to happen. If these people don't know uh, Christ, I mean, if these people know Christ and they've been given the Holy Spirit, if they've been given the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit comforts and convicts in their life. And, but if the Holy Spirit, if we're not right with God and not right with people, the Holy Spirit is going to have to be doing a whole lot of convicting. If the Holy Spirit is having to do a whole lot of convicting, then we're going to quench the Spirit. If we quench the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit cannot comfort us with the peace that transcends all understanding. So my thought for this, for you, is this. We've got to make sure that we have life with people and life with God like they need to be. And, and then God let God do the work in the middle. That girl, the Zen life girl, the Zen zone girl. We're going down and she said it was her first trip down the river this year. And I'm going to make a very long story short. We hit and hung up on every rock in that river. We wedged our raft on every rock in that river and all the other ones are like, woo, and they're going down the waterfall and we go, and then we stop. And she's like, all right, everybody come to this end of the raft. Everybody come to this end of the raft. And I'm like, I am miserable. And about three quarters of the way down the river, we are stuck on another rock and I looked over at Braden and me and Braden are just like, you know, and I was like, you picked what wrong. This is your fault. And she's like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. We're going to get off this rock. And all I could think about is I was like, I bet this is not your Zen zone. And, and what I find that is interesting is the same water that we were rafting in, miles up and around the corner, is the same water that we were tubing in, in a different state. Same river, different name. This one, water was a little rougher. But it was still a fun place to be, but you just had to know how to, you just had to know how to navigate it. My question is, are you navigating correctly? I think Paul lays this out on how to navigate it. I just my prayer and my thought is let's get serious about it and let's let's do it together. Can we pray together? Father, we just love you and thank you. God, I just pray that in everything that we do, that we'll honor you. God, I pray that you can help us just to seek you before we seek anything else. God, I pray that as we go into this time of invitation that you will make yourself known. I pray we'll do business with you like we need to.